This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And good afternoon. Welcome on this Thursday in the Mile High City. It is the 8th day of February 2024. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar with you. Sean, of course, has been spending the week in Las Vegas covering Super Bowl 58. And we'll hook up with Sean momentarily. Uh, In the meantime, lots going on in sports. And we'll get to all of it over the next two hours. Uh, Whether it be uh, the Nuggets game with the Lakers tonight at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. Uh, Kobe Bryant's statue will be unveiled tonight. Uh, The late, great Kobe Bryant. Uh, The Nuggets and Lakers will, of course, uh, be part of the festivities. Uh, Avalanche back in action tonight as they try to get their first win on this uh, six-game road trip. This is game number three, taking on the Hurricanes in Carolina. And CU beginning... A stretch of uh, games critical to their NCAA tournament hopes. We'll get all of that uh, later on. But Sean Rotar joins us now live from Las Vegas. Uh, The week is almost over, Sean. uh, Are there any storylines emerging uh, here on Thursday uh, that might inform us as to what will happen on Sunday afternoon? Perhaps. Obviously, we're talking to a lot of people out here on Radio Row, whether that's guests or whether that's colleagues in the media or athletes, what have you. But honestly, it's been very hard to find, even though uh, the 49ers are slight favorites. It's been very hard to find virtually anybody who believes the 49ers are going to win this game. That's the the story of the week to me. That the favored team is being picked to win by almost no one. No one. It's pretty remarkable. I, you know, it really, uh, it's it's been virtually no one that has been picking them, and I think that is sort of the power of Patrick Mahomes. I think we understand that this is a quarterback-driven league. I, I think that Brock Purdy has done a brilliant job. I think Brock Purdy is for real, but the problem is Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback on earth. He's reinventing this this position on the fly, and as long as he's in the building, the Chiefs have the best quarterback. And I think, but well, that's basically what it boils down to. But the other part that I think is interesting is. Despite the quarterbacks, I think a lot of people believe, and I'm actually one of them, it will be the defenses that decide the I game. agree with not you. Not necessarily I in the agree. way that, uh, that, yeah, and it's not necessarily as if they will limit the points, but there will be critical moments in which one of these teams is going to turn the ball over. Right. Uh, there's going to be something opportunistic, and that may very well be what decides this Super Bowl. And I was uh, listening with great interest uh, yesterday to your conversation with the former Atlanta Falcons coach, Mike Smith, Mm -hmm. and I agreed with him on two points. Uh, I agreed with his assessment that Kansas City might have the stronger defense. We've talked about that. Uh, Of the two teams, Kansas City's defense might be the stronger one. Uh, And I guess uh, Mike Smith and I are two of the few who think the 49ers' time has come, and they will find a way to pull out this game. The only fly in the ointment, and I want you to address this because you're closer to this story uh, out there in Las Vegas than we are back here in Denver. The only fly in the ointment that I can see for the Kansas City Chiefs is Kadarius Tony, and all the surrounding controversy with uh, Tony, who was certainly one of the culprits this year when people talked about the lack of production at the wide receiver position for the Chiefs. And then uh, on social media, 
recently. Uh, he delivered a diatribe that at first seemed directed at the Kansas City Chiefs. Later on, he said it wasn't. But will he even be playing? Uh, is it consequential as to whether he plays or not? What's the sense out there about Kadarius uh, Tony? I think that the sense out here is that it doesn't really matter all that much if he plays because the only wide receiver that has been a consistent threat has been the rookie Rishi Rice. Yeah. And obviously, he's been pretty good. He's not a speed guy, but he is good after the catch. He's become reliable. He's clearly the, the number two target that Mahomes looks for when it comes to passing. But, but that number three, sometimes it's been Tony. We've seen uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling step up in the playoffs. And, and I think most people believe, and I'm actually one of them, that if you're looking at, at a receiver that may be the guy that is outside of those two, or, of course, Isaiah Pacheco or Clyde Edwards-Alaire, we yeah. know that, that Mahomes and Reed like using the running backs as receivers. I think it'll be Valdez-Scantling who will be more consequential than Tony to the point where I don't know if anyone really thinks it matters if he plays or not. That's just how problematic that wide receiver position has been when you're talking to uh, players and when you're talking to observers and other media members. It's just been that much of a negative for Kansas City. But it is fascinating. I was talking uh, earlier today to Steve Largent, of course, the, the great wide receiver Hall of Famer from the Seattle Seahawks. And I asked him specifically, would you rather have the less experienced quarterback with better wide receivers, or would you rather have lesser wide receivers with the more experienced quarterback? Without hesitation, he said, no, I want the more experienced quarterback. Absolutely. I would expect Steve Largent to say that. Yes. Even though he was a great receiver, and you might think he would have a bias in favor of other receivers of uh, his stature and their in the history of the game, haven't there been many. There are very few of those. <laughs> haven't right? been many of those. But yeah. I, I agree with him completely, and that's what I would expect him uh, to say, that uh, having the quarterback is more important. You can win with lesser wide receivers. Uh, wide receivers really can't drag along for the ride a mediocre quarterback. It, it doesn't The wide receiver position is, is the dependent one. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you about someone on the other side of the for the Chiefs, and I know you talk about them, and those of us who watch the Chiefs a lot talk about them, but I think in many ways uh, he might be the most underrated player in this game, and I speak of uh, the defensive back of the Kansas City Chiefs, Legereus Sneed. He is a star. To me, he's an all-pro caliber player, and I love the Wall Street Journal headline today. Sneed is the Chiefs eraser. He makes stars disappear. I guess the challenge on Sunday for Sneed will be making Debo Samuel and or Brandon Ayuk disappear. Well, obviously, he can't do both. Uh, No, he can't guard both of them at the same time. There is plenty of talent, obviously, in Kansas City's defense. You know, they do have an effective pass rush. Find Chris Jones. They do have a good linebacking core, so there are maybe ways to uh, to bump these guys off the line of scrimmage, I suppose. But yes, the the, the plan would be, I think, for the Chiefs, especially with Seed and the way that C. Spagnuolo brings pressure, and the idea that he brings a lot of blitzes, which is sort of true, but not in the, in the traditional manner. He's not bringing a lot of extra players a lot of the time. He's bringing them from different angles, and he's bringing four guys maybe, and then dropping one back, but you don't know which one is going to do which. 
so I think that's part of the equation. They're, they understand, I think, that they will not be able to stop all the talent. You know, we haven't even touched George Hill or Christian McCaffrey. No. They, they, no. they understand that. But what they're trying to do is, is limit Brock Purdy's options because if you have an idea that you can basically take one of those guys out of the game, let's just hypothetically say Ayuk, well, then you have an opportunity. Then you've limited his options, and then you know a little bit of where Purdy has to go. And if you can cut one of those targets out, it increases your likelihood of being able to make an interception or uh, make sure your pass rush is at an angle to one side where the other wide receiver may be having challenges with speed. And, and then maybe that's the way to go. But I do like that. You know, we've talked about that all year. The talent the Chiefs have on all three levels, and that's an important part. It's on all three levels of defense really makes them very dangerous. And, and right now they are playing dangerous football. And that gets really scary when you talk about a team that already has the title, they're the defending champs, you know they're confident. Confident, talented, and playing well is a pretty scary combination. Well, I know I sat up and took notice when I saw Brett Veach, the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, say, I'm not sure exactly how we'll do it, but our offseason priorities are extending Chris Jones and LeJarius Sneed. Right. In other words, they're our two best defensive players. We have to keep them. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we have to find a way. Yeah, and and obviously that is going to be the top priority for them because other teams would be more than happy to make sure that you add either one of those guys. Chris Jones is is the, the best pass rusher, I think, in this league on the interior besides Aaron Donald. And quite frankly, the gap between Jones and Donald is becoming smaller and smaller. But what Jones really has, I think as well as anyone or better than anyone in the league, is the instinct and the ability and the timing when it comes to batting down passes. And that really does affect a quarterback, especially when it's right up the middle. Guys have such good ability to uh, you know, understand the pressure on the outside, and Brock Purdy does too. He can sense that. But the challenge would be you know, if Chris Jones can manage to get enough pressure just a little bit into the middle, now you know his hands are up and Purdy has to change a lot of what he's going to do. That's kind of the plan. It's not as if Kansas City is out there trying to really sack him a bunch of times. They're not sending this monster pass rush to get a whole, whole ton of sacks. They're really just trying to make Purdy more predictable as best as they can by cutting down the angles he has available and hopefully removing one of the targets with Snead, as you suggested. I've been getting asked a lot, and not, not just this week, but for quite a long period of time, what exactly is the Shanahan offense? And the, and the best answer I can give is to say, uh, first and foremost, and this is very much a, a product of uh, Mike Shanahan's offense that's extended over to Kai Shanahan's offense in both versions. And I know Kyle has refined Mike Shanahan's version of the West Coast, just as Mike refined the Bill Walsh, uh, maybe Mike Holmgren version of the West Coast offense when he was in San Francisco and then came here to Denver. But the one feature uh, that I think applies to a Shanahan offense is that run and pass plays are supposed to look exactly the same and you move players around. I mean, Christian McCaffrey can be a wide receiver and Debo Samuel can be a running back, although they're labeled as having played different positions over the years. Right, and you can even think in goal line formations over the last couple of years, we have actually occasionally seen George Kittle in the backfield sure. as well. So deception is a big part of the Kansas City offense, uh, pardon me, the San Francisco offense and the Kyle Shannon offense. And, of course, as you pointed out, you gave the heritage of, of that design 
rather clearly. But yes, it is. It is about deception. It's yeah. about making sure that it is quick hit stuff uh, for a guy like Purdy to process it fast and get it out before your opponent has a chance to sniff it out. So. Yeah, it, it's supposed to all look the same. There's still that zone running concept. They don't want a guy dancing around. Get right. the hole, make one cut, and go. Christian McCaffrey is great at that. And so you, you do have a, a lot of different abilities in which you can strike. Because the creativity is there. It is kind of funny, though, that Kyle Shanahan's reputation is that at times he's too conservative in big games. But you go back and, th- and look at the, the 28-3 when he's the offensive yeah. coordinator uh, in Atlanta. You look at the, the, some of the losses they've had of late. At times, they had big leads, you know, a third and one in that, in, in that 28-3, and you, you call a play with a seven-step drop. It's actually, at times, it, I think the narrative is mistaken. It's not that Kyle Shanahan is too conservative in big games. It's that at certain times, he's almost too aggressive when you should be a little more conservative and lock things down. And, and that, I think, is a little more realistic. I think the narrative uh, of, of Shanahan being too conservative is probably unfair it's looking at sort of an overall scheme, but it, it's when you go break it all down, it's been big moments over the last few years in which, quite frankly, it's been overcomplicated. It's been overthought, and sometimes you just have to simplify. We'll see if Kyle Shanahan and his crew have actually well, figured out how I, to do that. I, I think, you know, I, he was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta, not the head coach. Correct. Uh, but still, I, I would dare say, though Matt Ryan was uh, a terrific player, the Atlanta Falcons that year that Kyle Shanahan has more trust in Brock Purdy than he's had in any other quarterback that he's ever I, I coached in, in my opinion. I mean, you can go back to his initial days in Houston under Gary Kubiak as an offensive coordinator. I don't think there's a single quarterback throughout Kyle's coaching career, which goes back to the mid two thousands. Uh, really? I know he's with John Gruden for a time, but that was kind of an opportunity just to break in and get a feel for the coaching business. Uh, I don't think he's ever had more trust in a quarterback than he has in Brock uh, Purdy right now. The interesting thing about Kyle Shanahan, his record is certainly respectable overall now, 64-51, and and he has a great playoff record in spite of that Super Bowl loss four years ago. But he didn't have a winning career record until November of 2022. Isn't that fascinating? Only uh, for little is. more than a year has Kyle Shanahan had a career-winning record as a head coach. Well, and presumably that means that he is maturing and evolving, and we've seen that. We know that can happen with Hey, what a concept. Yeah, we've seen it happen with Jared Bednar and the Avalanche. We've seen it happen with Michael Malone yeah. and, and the Denver Nuggets. You know, we have seen coaches evolve and adapt, and that is a credit to the coach. It is also a credit to the organization who gives those coaches breathing room in which they can learn their craft and they can get better. Because, look, everybody who's a head coach was a first-time head coach at one <laughs> yes. point. It's yes. just the way it is. And so you can, if you've made that commitment, you can decide to lean into it or you can back off. And a lot of the times you're seeing a lot of teams get a little bit of cold feet after they doesn't start it the way they wanted and move along. San Francisco has done that. They were patient. They've worked through it. They've continued to acquire talent it feels in many ways uh, with all due respect to Brock Purdy it felt to me like Christian McCaffrey was maybe the final piece of the puzzle but Purdy's ascension oh I think so immensely valuable I I think so Uh, I mean the the McCaffrey thing has worked out beyond their wildest dreams and there was plenty of competition at the trade deadline in 2022 for Christian McCaffrey a lot of teams were interested the 49ers made it happen and I, I can't even conceive of a 
scenario that could have turned out better for the 49ers. Uh, First of all, he's been durable. He stayed healthy. Right. Well, and and some of that is for the Niners, too, taking care of him. But it is funny. As as I'm standing here on Radio Row talking to you, I'm looking at a very, very large uh, poster plastered on the wall of the Mandalay Bay Event Center for Super Bowl 58. On one half of it is Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. On the other half, it is Debo Samuel and Brock Purdy, not Christian McCaffrey, which to me is kind of interesting. But uh, An yeah, error it, of omission. It, it would seem. And obviously there's more players you could put on than two of each. But it is, it is interesting because as, as even as well as Purdy has played, and I think of Christian McCaffrey as, quite frankly, the best player on the 49ers, if not the best offensive player in the NFL, period. Uh, we know the Chiefs have, uh, certainly in the championship game against Baltimore, they, the Chiefs were in control of the game from the beginning. The Buffalo game was a little different in the way it played out, and it even seemed at the end when Buffalo was driving that at least there'd be an overtime, if not a Buffalo victory uh, in regulation. But the knock on the 49ers up until the playoffs this year, and we talked about the whole Chiefs thing of playing on the road, never had to play on the road, so the assumption was, well, they'd have trouble playing on the road. Hasn't turned out that way. With the 49ers, the knock was, well, if you get them down, by seven or more points in the fourth quarter, they will never beat you. They were 0-30 and 30 in those situations going into the playoffs. Well, they came back in the third quarter in the championship game, so they weren't more than seven points down or seven points down going into the fourth quarter last week. But against Green Bay, they got off the schneid. They were more than seven points or seven points or more behind going into the fourth quarter and they won the game. So 0-30 now is 1-30. Kyle Shanahan was quoted this week uh, by Seth Wickersham in a long uh, takeout piece on Kyle Shanahan as saying he believes that to rally that way, especially against Green Bay, hardens a team. And maybe that's one of the things that, I like about the 49ers going into this game. They have in the playoffs, at least on that one occasion, done something that they had never done before under Kyle Shanahan, and that's come back in the fourth quarter from a deficit of seven or more points. Well, and then they they all but did it again in the third quarter the very next week. They did, in the third quarter. In the third quarter, they did. Right, in the third quarter, right. 24 to 7 right. at halftime. And a lot of people were basically counting them out. This was, you know, at their own stadium. It was shocking. It didn't even look like, quite frankly, the Niners were ready for that game. Detroit absolutely blitzed them. And then you're right, you know, perhaps a little bit uh, galvanized from that yeah. win against the Packers. They right. were able to just nibble, nibble, nibble. Yep. And then all of a sudden, the third quarter roared back and took that win. And, and yep. that's, that's what I like about this Super Bowl. I have no question these are the best two teams because you just pointed out. Questions about the Chiefs. How will how will Mahomes and the Chiefs play on the road? Right. Problems solved in Buffalo. Yes. How will the, the, the Chiefs defense handle the likely MVP and Lamar Jackson? Problem solved there. Right. You know, is their defense good enough? We just talked about the Niners and their offense. Down not once, but twice. Comes back and wins. These two teams are resilient. They are confident, especially because of that. And yeah, I, I have a difficult time. I still do think the, the Chiefs will win because I just have a difficult time picking against Mahomes. That's uh, even in Vegas here where people throw a lot of bets down. That's one I'm not willing to make. 
But at the same time, uh, do I expect this to be a double-digit game? Absolutely not. I, I think we're talking about a three-point game, a four-point game. I agree with you. Max, a seven-point game. I think this is going to be a terrifically compelling Super Bowl. Hey, we're looking forward to your conversations coming up, particularly the one we'll have uh, in just a few minutes here, uh, going back uh, to you in Las Vegas, with Brian Jones of CBS. Very interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot to discuss, obviously, about a lot of that, and, and there's an array of, uh, of fun things coming for sure, so make sure you stay tuned to the show, and uh, Mile High Sports, follow us on, on social media, the YouTube, all of it with a lot of different content coming out right now from, uh, from Mile High Sports, and a lot more to come from Vegas for me. Brian Jones is next, and later on in the program, Neil Smith, one of the Broncos Super Bowl heroes from the glory days of 1997 and 1998. And, of course, Solomon Wilcox, uh, old friend, former uh, defensive star at the University of Colorado. Uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Sirius XM, is that right? That is correct, Sirius XM right now, yep. Very good. We look forward to all those conversations involving you, Sean, and uh, thank you for joining us here. We appreciate uh, it. We miss you. We look forward to uh, seeing you again back here on Monday. Yeah, by then, uh, hopefully I'll have recovered from the uh, from the week for sure. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> but it's uh, you know what this, this is why we do this right i mean you have to embrace the chaos that's and, right and embrace that's exactly the chaos that's uh, that's exactly right thanks sean and My when pleasure. we come back uh, yes indeed sean sits down with brian jones a former nfl linebacker now working for cbs so stay with us right here on mile high sports radio sandy clough with the great executive producer danny bailey uh, you can hear us on 98.1 FM and 107.5 HD3 and the milehighsports.com site slash watch or listen, depending on your preference. And we're also available via the Mile High Sports app. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Radio Rose Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. I'm Sean Drotar. Joining us is the host of college football today, CBS Sports, Brian Jones. <laughs> Adam Zucker's going to get you, man. Well, okay, one of, the, saying one, I'm the host. one of the three. I mean, you know, the other guys are there. but they just Brian, there. They're there. But Brian Jones, we have a chance to talk to. Uh, obviously, right, this, this Super Bowl here is, is such a huge scene, and, and having it in Vegas is, is obviously it's the first time, but it's so unique and special. And, it's kind of exciting to, to feel the vibe of, of the Super Bowl being in a city it's never been before. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And I don't know if there's a cooler looking stadium than the Death Star over here, man. That thing really pops. So uh, fun being in Vegas uh, per usual. And the participants, you know, that adds right. to the, the, the drama and the luster, uh, if you will, of the Super Bowl being in Vegas for the first yeah, time. Yeah, a rematch of a couple years ago, four years ago. The interesting part about that is, you know, I've kind of looked it up. The guys that touch the ball on offense 
Only six on both teams combined are left. Oh. Mahomes, Kelsey, and uh, Nicole Hardman for the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, Kittle, Juszczyk, and Debo Samuel for the Niners. And that's it. So really? even though these teams are, seem to be familiar because the Chiefs have had recent success, uh, obviously they're the defending champs. You look at the way that the the, Chief, the Niners have constantly been right about there, but there's actually been a lot of turnover on these teams. It's kind of a credit to the way that the general managers and the coaches have continued to churn through players, which is just the nature of NFL and the free agency era. No doubt. And the one mainstay for the Chiefs, though, is that quarterback yes, who is magical. So you just make sure you sprinkle some talent around him and he will do the rest. So uh, not surprised that they're back here and not surprised that it, they overcame their challenges during the uh, regular season uh, to get back uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and and you look at San Francisco and, and Kyle Shanahan, love him, hook him horns. Uh, he, he's a longhorn and, and the job he's done. And there are a lot of narratives surrounding him, whether or not uh, you know he can – Sustain leads. Of course, they came back last mm-hmm. week's ball game uh, a couple weeks ago versus Detroit. So hopefully, he got some of that that stank off his back because that's what everyone wants to talk about: his days at Atlanta as the OC and and relinquishing a twenty eight to three lead to to the Patriots and other uh, missteps here of late since he's been head coach. That's one of the, the interesting stories about this is, is the coaches. In Kyle Shanahan's case, like you said, you want to go ahead and move forward with that. And, of course, Super Bowl resume would be remarkable. He'd also be the first uh, father-son combo to win as head coaches. Mm-hmm. With, of course, in Denver, as we well know, Mike Shanahan. The other part with Andy Reid, very quietly, the fourth winningest coach in the history of the NFL. And the quietly, thought, for, the thought right. for years had been, well, Don Shula's uh, win total will obviously be surpassed by Bill Belichick. Well, Bill Belichick doesn't have a job. Here is Andy Reid. Not all that far behind Hallis and, and and Shula, and maybe we could be really. It's, it feels he's been in front of us the whole time, but maybe the football world's been sleeping on just how good Andy Reid really is. I'm in agreement with you. You will get no argument from me, man. He's quietly going about his work. Of course, didn't get that Super Bowl championship when he was leading the Eagles as a lifelong Cowboys fan. Didn't like him terribly much when he was with <laughs> with with the Eagles. Uh, uh, so. I, I'm I'm with you, man. He is one heck of a coach, and he's even killed all the things that have transpired on field, off field, the drama with Eric Bieniemy and 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 and, and the whatnot. He is the same dude all the time. And I have a former coach, college coach, that coached with him for a long, long time, and he had nothing but effusive praise for Andy Reid, the coach, and Andy Reid, the man. And that perspective coming from the, a guy I love dearly said enough for me to give me insight into who Andy Reid is. He's the winningest all-time coach for the Chiefs and the Eagles. Not a lot of people are able to say that. Hall of Fame, here I come. Uh, absolutely. You get to punch your ticket there. Well, you brought up Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you, of course, host college football today with Rick Neuheisel, mm-hmm. former head coach uh, of the University of Colorado when they were still regularly uh, a bold caliber team. Not quite the, the championship year of 1990, but the Neuheisel era was very successful. And now you're looking at a, an era up in Boulder with Deion Sanders. Sanders, uh, obviously, was the son Shadur, maybe as high as a top five pick next year if things continue to roll along. How did you look at that first season? Of course, all the hype. They started 3-0. There was a lot of excitement, and it, it skidded to a unpleasant ending. But it still feels to me as if that was a success. The step one was to go from irrelevance to relevance. I think the Buffaloes are relevant again. 
but it's hard to stay relevant unless you start winning football games. No doubt. And as Coach Neuheisel said, they were the epicenter. Boulder was the epicenter of college football for the thir- first month yeah. of college football because of that huge win at TCU. Now, that wasn't the same TCU team that had gone to the national title game, and that team probably wouldn't have fared better considering how they lost the national <laughs> title couldn't game. Couldn't have got much worse. Yeah. Right. So uh, that was monumental. That was huge. And and then when you start winning, as you know, and especially if you have such a glamorous, high-profile, as Coach Sanders, people are going to start taking shots. People took shots at me because all I said after that first win is this is great. Now the opponents, the rest of the opponents, they have tape on this team. And someone said, well, they had tape on him prior when he was at um, Jackson, Jackson State. State. I said, well, that's different. When you're at Jackson State, you run what you can with the players you have there. When you're at Colorado, you run with the pl- what you can with the players you have now. And I wasn't t- trying to take shine off of that victory. I was just saying it's going to get much tougher, and which it did. Absolutely. And so there were glaring holes, interior lines, offensive and defensive lines. Uh, and he's shoring that up. That's his goal. That was his goal going into his recruiting season is to plug those holes. I think they will. The speed is there, tremendous talent, and people want to play for him. And I think they will be just fine. And I, I can foresee primetime being there forever. Great place to live. Boulder is one of the most beautiful, scenic places on this planet. Excellent weather for the most part. So why would you want to go anywhere? I think he can, he can build it up. And I, but I'm going to go on a limb and say they'll be in the running for a Big 12 championship this year. Uh, it'd be interesting, and obviously, you're, you, when we talk about Dion staying in Colorado, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you because I do think that the the bigger programs, you know, when when Nick Saban left, the idea was well, Dion Sanders could go there. Those bigger programs don't necessarily need what he's providing. Thank you. Colorado is more than happy to hand him the reins. He's not going to be an NFL coach because of the style and manner in which he coaches. I agree. I think you find a spot, and and he he talked about it himself. He's like instead of in, in, inheriting a legacy, he wants to create one. right. And it's been long enough since Colorado was successful with that 1990 national championship that you really are starting again from scratch. And, and I actually agree with you. I think we're two of the few that thinks that I think he's going to find this a place that's perfect to stay and create the legacy because it's easy to get from Colorado all over the country. My question would be in an NIL world now with their focus on the transfer portal, which is really where they're spending a lot of time in the last two cycles. Is that sustainable? Can you continue to to grow a program in a transfer portal, or are they going to have to focus a lot more on high school recruiting going forward? Yes, to the last question. (laughs) They're going to have to focus more on high school recruiting because that has to be the foundation of your program. Now, you see some of the big boys, my alma mater, Texas, they'll go and they'll fill a couple of voids in that roster, but that's not – the foundation, the foundation, the lifeblood is the high school recruiting. Reason why we developed our platform, Edge3.ai, powered by IBM Watson X, is to help coaches identify better fits for their program at every position while simultaneously helping athletes make more informed decisions about what's the right fit for me and my skill set. Give me a, a window into that position room. Um, give me some comparative analysis where I can now look side by side at someone similar to me and 
project out on where I could possibly be. We're not making a decision for you. We're just giving you all the information. As a coach, we want to mitigate the risk with the transfer portal because from the outset, I want to make sure I'm making a correct business decision. And that's what it is. It's business in this world of NIL. And it can be risky business if I'm not identifying the right players and then I got to go re-recruit him to keep him from now transferring somewhere else. So the lifeblood has to be the legacy model of high school recruiting. Once you have that foundation built, now I can go out and plug a few holes here and there with the transfer portal. But ultimately, our objective with Edge3.ai and IBM Watson X is to help you make more informed decisions as an athlete, as a coach, so we can mitigate some of this movement. We can we can temper uh, what's happening in the in the transfer portal and all the transition amongst these rosters. These coaches now having to recruit your locker room. I mean, that's difficult. That's yeah, tough to make sure the guys just stick around. Yeah, and you're right. It makes sense if you have a better fit to start. It's likely to stay a bit. Do you have all the information you need? Mm-hmm. That's the key. You got to make sure I have, I can find all the information I need to make that decision. And that's what Edge3.ai provides. Uh, for the coaches, for the universities, and for the athletes to make sure they're in the best spot. If I go them. back to my AD. Not just as a, not yeah. just as a player, but as a, as a student yeah. as well. We just brought this kid in. We gave him a huge NIL deal. Why is he leaving? And what information did you base your decision upon to bring him in-house? I can go back and say, hey, I got some predictive uh, analytics, uh, probabilities from IBM, Watson X. This is what it said. Here's a comparative analysis. You probably can leverage that to to possibly keep your job if, if a recruit goes awry as opposed to utilizing the legacy model. Well, you know, on three said this or 24-7 said that, and I'm not denigrating but it's a those entities. Thing. It's, it's a, a totally thing. different thing. How do people find out more about it? Go to edge3.ai, uh, and, and you'll find out more. Go to ibm.com, and you'll find out more. We've got a blog uh, on that site currently because today is the, the, the day where we've announced the, the partnership with IBM Watson X, and it's a glorious day for us. We've been at this for almost four years, man, and it's taken on different iterations. And to finally land here with a partner such as Big Blue is, is just tremendous. Well, congratulations. Make Thank sure you. you go check that out as well. If you're a parent of a student, if you're a student athlete, this can help you too. So make sure you check it out and check out College Football Today every weekend. Appreciate on that. Sports. You and, I'm the host now. Right, you, you. Yeah, Zucker and you, Heisel, they're there. But I mean, you're the guy in the middle. So, I mean, obviously, we're talking to the one we need to We're talk to. in the middle. I'm on the end, so I can run out away from them every now and then. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so, bomb- I'm so bombastic. We got all these screens, and we're watching these games, man. It's so crazy in there. But what a, a great job. I'm so blessed uh, to work with fun guys. Well, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for spending some time. I know it's a busy day today, but good to talk to you. Appreciate you as well. Those insights in the, uh, in, in the new uh, – in the new conference for the Buffaloes yeah, yeah. as well. And check out uh, edge3.ai as well. Make sure you give it a look. Thank you, you know, so thank much. Thank you so much. Take you care. Got it. We'll be back for more on Radio Row right here live, Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Trade deadline day in the National Basketball Association and a lot of little deals, nothing terribly 
significant. Certainly no blockbuster trades uh, came about at the deadline, largely because teams have been making moves for weeks leading up to today and basically had had set their teams. And uh, the other part of it is that, uh, you know, teams are basically set. They know who they are at this point. There are eight good teams in the East, all right, out of 16. There is a clear point of demarcation. You can slash right through the middle portion of the Eastern Conference, and you can separate the good from the bad. Obviously, you have Boston, uh, far and away the class team of the East, followed by Cleveland, Milwaukee, and New York. Philadelphia and Indiana would be the other automatic playoff qualifiers. Miami and Orlando would be involved in the play-in tournament, as things stand now, against Chicago and Atlanta. And then there's another drop-off. Now, Chicago and Atlanta are both losing teams. You have then... The really, really bad teams, Brooklyn, Toronto, Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit, although the Pistons won in Sacramento last night against the Kings by, I believe, 13 points. So even in the NBA, you never know for sure from night to night what's going on. But the Western Conference is the much stronger of the two conferences. The road win home loss differential by the 16 teams in the West, plus 25. Naturally, in the East, it's minus 25. That's a pretty big gap, all right? You've got eight decent to excellent teams in the East. In the West, you have four teams at the top that are basically dead even. The Clippers lost at home last night to the New Orleans Pelicans and in the process dropped from first to fourth place. That's how tight things are. You lose one game on a night when none of the other three teams play, and you go from first place, admittedly based on tiebreakers, to fourth place. But listen to the records. Oklahoma City, first place, 35-16. and 16. Minnesota, second place, 35-16. and 16. Denver, third place, 35-16. and 16. Clippers, fourth place, 34-16. and 16. It, it doesn't get any tighter than that. Then you have Phoenix in fifth, 30 and 21. New Orleans in sixth, 30 and 21. Sacramento seventh, 29 and 21. Then it drops down a bit to Dallas at 28, 23. The Lakers, 27, 25. And Utah, 26, 26. Golden State is playing a little better lately, but right now, Golden State would not qualify even for the play in tournament. Neither would Houston, Memphis, Portland. San Antonio, uh, the last three in that group, Memphis, Portland, and San Antonio, are terrible and not even remotely in contention. Golden State's going to have to one-stop losing at home and keep winning on the road. thing about Golden State last year, coming off their championship season in 22, was that they were about as good as they'd ever been at home. They were terrible on the road. They couldn't win on the road. This year, there have been times when they played better basketball away from San Francisco than they have uh, during their home games this year. Well, they played a great game last night in Philly. 
they did and blew the doors off the 76ers who uh, probably had some of these deals in mind or at least the one big deal they made today picking up Buddy Heald from the Indiana Pacers. Uh, win or lose last night, I think they would have made that deal today. But uh, with talk out there that you know, maybe if things go well, MB could be back in a month or so. And that's really a best-case scenario, if not completely unrealistic. But that was the deal they made. Uh, there were three second-rounders and a couple of bench players, including Marcus Morris, involved in, in that deal going the other way. But Philadelphia dealing for Buddy Heald. Utah traded Kelly Olenek and uh, Ochai Baji to the Raptors uh, for Porter Lewis and a 24 first rounder, Monte Morris, our old friend, uh, drafted by Tim Connolly when Connolly was running the Denver Nuggets, now is reunited with Connolly in Minnesota. The Timberwolves traded today with Detroit for Monte Morris. Uh, they traded away Shake Milton and Troy Brown Jr. and a second rounder in 2030. Will any of us even be alive in 2030? I hope so. But that only in the NBA do you see trades made in 2024 that really aren't complete until six years have passed, right? You know, you don't see football trades made with draft picks that far out. And I really wonder whether the NBA should allow that. I understand football's got uh, more rounds in its draft than uh, the NBA does. Some football has seven rounds in its draft, and NBA only has two rounds in uh, its draft. Uh, so there are no third, fourth, and fifth, sixth, seventh round picks to deal. But uh, Monte Morris is a Minnesota Timberwolf now, and uh, the Knicks traded for uh, Bojan Bogdanovich of Detroit and old friend Alec Burks, the former guard at the University of Colorado. Uh, they make that trade with Detroit. Another old friend goes the other way, Evan Fournier, former Nugget, Quentin Grimes, uh, Malachi Floyd, and a couple of second-round picks. Uh, There were some other considerations involved. The Celtics traded for Xavier Tillman, the forward center from the Memphis Grizzlies, who are obviously bagging uh, this year. And I think that's a great trade for the Celtics. Tillman is a very solid big coming off the bench at about 6'8". 6'9", can uh, swing between forward and center. The Celtics don't have a lot of size. Al Horford basically backs up Porzingis, but Porzingis is uh, rather injury-prone, and Horford's very old. So it's a good trade that the Celtics made for Tillman. And maybe the uh, trade that uh, could be the most interesting as it affects the Nuggets The Phoenix Suns, right at the deadline, picked up a couple of old friends. Royce O'Neal, who spent part of his college basketball career at DU, and David Roddy, who was uh, a terrific player at Colorado State University. Uh, In a three-way deal, they get O'Neal from Brooklyn, of course, and Roddy from the Grizzlies. Both go to the Suns, who are looking for Tap me on the shoulder if you've heard this before. Bench depth. 
right? <laughs> and Roddy and O'Neal, I think, blend very well with their big three of Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and, of course, Devin Booker. And especially when they go small, you could see those two guys part of a small lineup with Durant, as he does often late in games. Yeah, I mean, he's a seven-footer, after all, playing center in a small lineup with the combination of Beal and Roddy and O'Neal and Booker. I don't know if they'd finish every game, but I could see those three, the top three guys, Durant, Beal, and Booker, playing with O'Neal and Roddy. And I I think that's part of what the Suns envision, at least during certain portions of games, as a uh, uh, plausible five-man combination. Uh, The Nuggets, by the way, are in Los Angeles tonight, and I'll be honest, the game's kind of secondary. Remember when the Nuggets opened the season against the Lakers? They have not met since, and they raised the championship banner. Well, tonight, the statue of Kobe Bryant is unveiled, and uh, the game will be part of a celebration of Kobe Bryant's life in Los Angeles and his uh, uh, impact that is being felt, I think, even to this day, four days four days, four years after his passing in 2020. Uh, It will be a very emotional night at Crypto.com Arena, and uh, the Nuggets will be part of those festivities uh, tonight as they take on the Lakers, who are playing well, having won six of their last ten games, a couple of recent road wins in Boston and Madison Square Garden in New York, uh, perhaps giving the Lakers a bit of a lift. Uh, Did you notice that uh, the Lakers are very quiet today? On the trading front. I kept waiting for that Bruce Brown news. Never came. Never came. And I think Bruce was in the starting lineup for Toronto the other night. And Toronto's been wheeling and dealing. But they did not deal Bruce Brown. Now, there's certain restrictions on trading Bruce Brown, whom they just acquired from Indiana a few weeks ago. But I was a little surprised uh, to see... a among all the moves Toronto made, that nothing happened with respect to Bruce Brown. Uh, But I think when you look at uh, the Lakers right now, apart from Vanderbilt being hurt, they they have maybe a more clear notion of uh, how they want to play and who they want to be. Now, they're in ninth place right now. So I I think there has to be some hesitation about getting too carried away, but they did win those two games recently. Um, the Nuggets were the first team to beat the Celtics in Boston. And I think the other two Boston losses at home this year have come at the hands of the Los Angeles teams, the Clippers first and then the Lakers uh, more recently. The only three games that the Celtics have lost all year, the Celtics are undefeated at home in the Eastern Conference, but they've uh, lost three home games to Western Conference opposition. So uh, that's all ahead tonight. Uh, CU's got a big one at home up in Boulder against Arizona State tonight. And uh, the first thing you think about, will they overlook Arizona State and look ahead to the Saturday showdown with the University of Arizona? Uh, 
that is somewhat of a concern, but you would think that concern would be tempered by the fact that earlier this year, though they didn't lose by 47 points to Arizona State, as they did to Arizona, they lost to Arizona State after Arizona had beaten them by 47, and they got De Silva back in the lineup for the Arizona State game. And De Silva's been kind of up and down since coming back from that uh, injury earlier in the season. And, of course, the Buffs played their most recent game in Utah without Cody Williams, a sensational freshman, and sixth man Luke O'Brien. Now, word out of Boulder is that both practiced yesterday. O'Brien without a limp. Tad Boyle said he was limping around on Tuesday and it was limited in practice. Um, Williams got hit in the face, and they haven't been any more specific about that injury. My guess is it could be a broken nose, maybe. And if he can play tonight and he went full speed of practice yesterday, um, no guarantee that both players will play tonight, but there is a sense that they probably will be able to go. Uh, We'll see how much of a lift that gives Colorado. I didn't realize this until I read about it today, Danny, that in only 12 games this year has Colorado had its full rotation of players in a lineup at the same time. Only 12 times this year. So uh, Yeah, I wouldn't have thought it was For almost half the season, they've been shorthanded. And they aren't the deepest team in the Pac-12 by any means. So the injuries they've had, particularly those that have sidelined De Silva, uh, Williams on two separate occasions, and Luke O'Brien very recently, uh, those are tough injuries. Uh, The Buffaloes looking for their top seven rotation players, Julian Hammond III being the seventh, all together for just the 12th time this season as they get set to take on Arizona tonight up in Boulder. And we'll talk about that game and uh, look ahead to the Arizona game tomorrow on the program. When we come back, one of my favorite people down through the years with the Denver Broncos is Neil Smith, who spent most of his career, yes, with the Kansas City Chiefs, but came to Denver to try to win a Super Bowl. And he not only won one, he was a part of two championship teams. He is one of the most appealing personalities that we've ever seen come through Denver, and particularly with the Denver Broncos. And he joins Sean Rotar from Radio Row in Las Vegas next, right here on Mile High Sports. Stay with us. Duh. 